And now, an Envision Financial podcast with Luke Smith on Canberra's 2CC. Luke Smith, good afternoon. Glass half full or glass half empty? I mean, really, it's mostly sunny or partly cloudy. Come on, go with mostly sunny. Well, I think the glass is very full today because it is an absolute belter of an afternoon. It's a beautiful day. Quite nice from the cooler nights we've had as well. It's seen the temperatures dropped a bit this week, so it's been a bit easy to go to sleep and maybe you don't need that fan, but today's been an absolute cracker. Yeah, yeah, and it looks like it's going to be great over the weekend as well. But we're here to talk money matters once again. And uh, this week we're talking about some of the misconceptions people have around super funds and in particular the commonly held belief that all super funds are basically just the same. Exactly right. We're going to continue the misconception month, if you like, because we're three weeks into sort of debunking some general assumptions that I think can actually be quite detrimental if you make some assumptions around what you're using and what you can use it for. So I've got some, again, of the real-life scenarios here that I've had questions-wise from people. Um, So we're going to sort of jump into, are super funds all the same? And actually, what happens when I do retire and and how do I use my super? And the, the, the first one I get is, you know, if I take my money out of super, it may be taxed. Not really. So the answer is it depends. Okay, now I'm confused. Peter Costello promised me I wouldn't pay any tax at all, didn't he? Well, exactly right. Now, you <laughs> won't pay any tax on a standard accumulation fund. And I say sometimes because, you know, we've got people in the ACT that are in defined benefit schemes, your yeah. CSS, PSS and the like. So they're slightly different in the way that they are treated because they have different underlying components. Now, that's a lot for a Friday afternoon, but we can work on the basis that if you're over the age of 60, you've met a condition of release and you're taking out your benefits as a lump sum or a pension, it is coming out on a tax-free basis. And I've said in my answer here, in a normal super fund, and that's just my distinction to defined benefit schemes. Now, that's not to say they're taxed adversely. They may also be completely tax-free, but you just got to check because they have slightly different components. So that one... True, and we're happy to play on with that. Um, The next one I get is the pension I'm going to get is tax-free, right? And as an extension of that, yes, again, normal super fund over the age of 60 up to certain limits, tax-free, no Mm -hmm. problems at all. Defined benefit schemes, again, just check because they can be very, very tax-advantaged, but by default, all of the income may not be tax-free. So again, not saying they will be, you've just got to check. You can't assume that, oh, my report says my pension's 80,000 out of the PSS. That's all tax-free, right? Mm -hmm. Well, it depends. It depends. So you can't assume straight out of the gates. Okay. But your normal everyday garden variety retail super fund, it is tax-free. Yeah, because a lot of people come in concerned about, well, what's my net position going to be? Because you've spent most of your working life worrying about your net income. Yeah. Um, I also find the big one there as well is when it comes to super, you can access that, we keep saying from 60, where you're born after 1st of July 1965. Mm -hmm. It's not 67. And I find a lot of people come in and go, oh, Lukey, I've got to work to 67. And I go, why? Do you love your job? And they go, nah, Mm -hmm. I hate my boss. But I can get my super at 67. So there's also a little bit of confusion there around age pension eligibility and the preservation age for standard superannuation. So 
Yeah, well, see, this can be an important thing for some people because if they don't have a very large superannuation balance, mm. they might be looking forward to a future where they rely on a combination of government-aged pension, which yep. can only be accessed after age 67, Correct. and the superannuation, which can be accessed before that, but that by itself may not be enough. Exactly. But the perception I get from people is, oh, well, I have to work to 67 and they've just confused the access of superannuation with the age pension. So we can we can debunk that one as a, as a bonus. Um, another one I've got here I get regularly is the income from my investments will pay me a pension, right? Well, not necessarily. So this is a really important point. A lot of people come in and say, well, I need X amount to live and I want the dividends from my investments to fund as much of that as possible. Now that is completely correct where you're dealing with something like a personal superannuation fund. So the likes of a, um, a Colonial, a Macquarie, where you have control over the underlying investments, therefore you have control over the dividends and the use of franking credits. However, with something like an industry fund, that's a unitized superannuation account. Now that fund structure does not provide dividends during the year. They say at the start of the year, one unit of the balanced investment is worth a dollar. And then depending on performance, they reflect all of the total return in the unit value of the investment. So it might be 105, 110, 120, 113. There are no dividends getting paid. Now for me, controlling your income in your retirement is one of the most important things that you can do so that you have the ability to manage cash flow, you have the ability to maximise the use of franking credits, and you can have a lot of comfort in knowing that if I want to draw a 5% pension out of my entitlements, keep the numbers round, million dollars, I need 50,000 a year to live. Well, if you can generate 45 of that using dividends, you're not actually touching the invested capital. Yeah. That can be very advantageous because people like to see it go up, but also in times of weakness, we need to remember that the share price of something can go down. That doesn't necessarily mean that its earnings are going to change. And we find that a lot with bank stocks. If we like the banks, value goes up. If we don't like the banks, value goes down. But they still generally pay a very strong level of distributable income. Yes. So for me, being in the right super fund and controlling your income is very important. But we can't assume that every fund provides you with those same flexibilities because it's simply not the case. Boy, you make it so complicated sometimes. Well, not really. Just get in a good fund and control your income. The mm -hmm. rest will take care of itself. All right, then. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think that's why, though, we need to uh, make sure we discuss these matters in some detail with our financial advisor to to work through some of these issues that yeah. might be a little bit complicated yeah. for a regular person. And, and that's why I sort of say there are different types of super funds out there like there are different types of cars. Yeah. And it's not that we say, and, and I use this analogy regularly in the radio, at six foot four, six foot five, I don't have a Mini. Now, great little car, quite happily buy some for my girls when they get to licence age, but not really good for somebody my size. So that doesn't mean I hate Minis. Mm -hmm. I just want to buy something that's more suitable for my situation. And super funds are the same. If you're concerned about your income, you're concerned about controlling franking credits, you're concerned about the underlying investments, then be in a fund that gives you those flexibilities. Because the next one I have here is I can buy anything I want in my super fund, can't I? 
Now, the answer Alrighty is, then. The <laughs> answer's got to be it depends, right? <laughs> is is no? You can buy from what's on the approved product list, right? And there this you is go. this is one of the biggest points of distinction. I think we can we can we can sort of allude to today is certain super funds will give you some investment options. Certain super funds will let you buy others. So let's look at two extreme cases. I've got a self managed super fund. I can buy pretty much anything I want with any weighting or percentage within that account. Or I could be in the government PSSAP fund. It's very expensive, gives you four very limited investment options, no access to shares, no access to ETFs, no access to any specialised managed funds. You get four generic options, one of them being cash, one of them being an aggressive option, which is you know, 85, 90 plus in, in the growth sector and then two others. So 99% of people end up imbalanced. So if I'm concerned about what I'm going to hold in my super fund and the, the controls that I want in my retirement, being in an expensive fund that gives you four options probably isn't a great idea when for certain sized balances, a self-managed super fund could actually be a lot cheaper and you're getting all the bells and whistles and flexibilities and controls that are just not available. Now, does that make this said fund bad? No, not really. Does it make it good? No, not really. But what do you need? Yeah. We come back to the car analogy. Mm -hmm. Tradies drive utes for a reason. Yep. They need to put stuff in the back. Or as they would have said in the old days, horses for courses. Yeah, exactly right. And yeah. I think that's, again, if you want to buy something and you know you might have a love affair with a particular stock and you'd love to have that in your fund, one, check the approved product list of your fund. Is it available? And secondly, check and see if there is a waiting limit, i.e. some funds will say you can't hold more than 10% of any one of these particular investments, really for your own protection and so that you maintain a suitable level of diversification. Mm. So check the fund you're in, check the fund you want to go to and make sure that if you do have a preference that what you want to buy is actually yeah. available. And that point you made about the self-managed super fund, it uh, may not be the uh, best choice for everybody because Correct. it may not be suitable for every individual. But yep. if it is the choice, um, one of the benefits is it gives you that ability to pick and choose exactly how you want the money to be invested. Exactly. You could, you could think about that like the Rolls Royces of super funds. Now, Rolls Royces aren't cheap. No. <laughs> um, but again, a big misconception with a self-managed super fund is that they are by default expensive. When you start to get balances of in excess of about $800,000, generally speaking, when you look at the total cost of a self-managed super fund, in most instances, it's actually cheaper than an industry fund because a lot of the costs associated with that particular structure are fixed and they are not impacted by the dollar value of the fund. That is not the case with industry funds and, and some other accounts where they charge on the underlying value of your assets. So again, don't assume that something isn't available to you because if you actually did the numbers, you might be pleasantly surprised that you could have a lot more for a lot less when it comes to the cost of a, of a structure. All righty. So what are some more misconceptions you'd like to bust apart? All right. Um, I'm 55, so I can take my pension and my lump sum from the PSS. Well, can you? No. Okay. Well, well I'm glad you shot that down. <laughs> let me let me unshoot it a little bit. If you're between – so the defined benefit schemes are, are some of the few funds in the country that allow you to gain access under the 
Commonwealth preservation age of 60 where you are born after 1965. Mm -hmm. Now, with the PSS, for example, a lot of people are sort of winding out of the CSS and a lot of people now are still in the PSS. You can take your benefits for everybody at home freaking out going, oh, I took my pension at 55. Yes, you can, mm -hmm. but you can't take a lump sum. Right. So if you go to your, your, your fund and say, hey, I'd like half pension and half lump sum, please, you can have the pension, but the lump sum needs to be rolled to another complying super fund and you need to get to 60 to take that out. Right. So a lot of people coming in with the money already spent. I'm going to take this much in pension. I'm going to take this out. I'm going to pay off the house and the investment property and buy a boat. And I go, oh, hang on a sec. Are you 60? Well, no, but I can get it at 55. You can get that little bit, that pension part. You can take it all as a pension, no problems. But any lump sum component that's left in there, you need to roll over to a complying super fund and take from 60 onwards. So keep that one in mind. Um, there are some traps for the unwary, aren't there? Well, again, it's you, you can't assume that all vehicles are the same. Yeah. You know, those defined benefit schemes are very different structurally. So we can't go and lump them in with a self-managed super fund or an industry fund because they are written under a different set of rules. Um, but I find if we get that one out there now, yes. it'll 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 reduce the tears this year for people coming in, finding out they can't have the boat because they can't get the uh, the rolled over super for the next five years. All right. So how about this one? Um, I want to uh, embark upon the transition to retirement now. My pension scheme will let me do that one day. Well, my uh, superannuation uh, account will allow me to do that one day. Depends on the fund. Okay. So, so again, what's going on? Got to check the PSS. And again, we're not we're not bashing the PSS. Wonderful fund. Happy days for everybody that's in there. But the PSS doesn't allow you to use the transition to retirement legislation. The CSS did. The PSS doesn't. Now, all standard accumulation funds, so personal super funds, industry funds, self-managed super funds, master trusts, all these different types of superannuation structures that most people don't even know exist, in a general sense, will allow you to take advantage of the transition to retirement rules, which means you've reached your Commonwealth preservation age and you would like to take out between 4% and 10% without quitting your job. Now, the PSS doesn't allow that. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just that the rules of that fund don't facilitate that type of income stream because when the rules for this fund were written, these things, transition to retirement pensions didn't exist. So again, let's not assume, find out what's available, but for the vast majority of standard accumulation funds, yeah. you would be able to use the transition to retirement rules to fund lifestyle and spending. All right, one more for you. My fund does not charge me admin fees. I'm getting a great deal, right? Depends. <laughs> now, we see this one a lot with some of the big funds, AMP and Notorious for this, where they won't charge an admin fee, but the cost of your underlying investment option is nuclear expensive. So when we're looking at the cost of the fund or comparing one fund to another, we need to look at, is there an admin fee? And then what is the ICR? And ICR stands for internal cost ratio. And what does that mean in English? When you're looking at your annual super statement, you say, oh, look, I'm in the balanced option and the growth option. Those options charge you a fee for being in them. So you need to add an admin fee plus the internal cost ratio of your underlying investments to work out what the true carrying cost of your fund is. And AMP used to do this very well back in the day oh, we don't charge an admin fee, look at us, this is really, really cheap, and then charge 
2% for their balanced option, which is unbelievably expensive in the current environment. Um, so you need to look at this holistically and add those two up because if you only look at one, it might look far more attractive than it really is because the internal cost ratio is not a tax deductible expense. It's taken from the product provider before your return is given to you. So if you earn $100 and it costs 10, they give you 90 in the return. So if you've got a really high non-deductible cost in your fund, you could be robbing yourself of growth over the longer term. So again, look at it holistically, weigh those two things up, and then make an accurate assessment of what you're comparing it to. Luke Smith from Envision Financial is with me in the studio today. We're looking at the commonly held misconception that all super funds are basically the same because... You know what? They're not. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Well, it's about seven minutes to five, and being a Friday afternoon, Luke Smith from Envision Financial is with me in the studio. We're talking finance matters today, and our topic du jour is the common misconception that all super funds are the same, because you know what? They're actually not. Correct. All right, Luke, what are the key things people need to remember? Well, one, I'd say check the cost of your fund. I don't mind paying for a slightly more expensive fund if you're getting good value. And good value could include investment flexibility, good insurance options, um, the ability to receive in-specie transfers. So like anything in life, if you pay peanuts, you generally get monkeys. So you want to find that happy medium in the middle of, am I paying the right amount of fees for all of the things that I may or may not know are important to me in retirement? Because it can have a significant impact on the total cost of your fund, the options that you buy, and the flexibilities of your return. Um, second, use a fund that offers a wide range of investments by default. Try and control your dividends. Be in a super fund that allows you to control your dividends to fund your pension in retirement because it will provide you a huge amount of peace of mind when you know that a very large portion of your annual living expenses come from the investments and you're limiting your need to touch the capital that's invested. Uh, maximise the use of franking credits. You know, franking credits in a pension are, are effectively cash because they are surplus and, you know, Bill Shorten did his best to try and take them, um, much to the frustration of anybody over the age of 60 at the time. Um, so use them. Don't let them Well, they all voted against him, you see, so that's what happened there. Funny that. Um, so, yeah, maximise the, the use of franking credits and being a fund that gives you that flexibility. Check that transition retirement is available for you, as I say. In the majority of instances, transition is available. Um, but again, just check, don't assume. Um, don't assume your income's tax-free from a defined benefit. It is structured slightly differently. That's not to say that it won't all be tax-free in your situation, but you might need to just do a couple of calculations to work that out. Um, check and see if the assets you want to hold are available on the approved product list of the fund that you're in or the fund you want to move to because there'd be nothing more frustrating than rolling over your super and saying, I'd like to buy 40% of this stock. And they say, oh, I'm sorry, that's not on our approved product list. So you can get hold of that from all good um, retail and, and industry funds if, if they give you the, the listed options. Um, and then just make sure that you're using a fund for the right reasons. You know, fees aren't the only thing that are important when it comes to deciding what you're going to use. I find flexibility, control and peace of mind are achieved for people in retirement where they have an increased amount of control. And the last one is there is a personal superannuation fund that you can use, which is a bridge between an industry fund 
and a self-managed super fund. I find a lot of people go, well, if I'm not in this one, you want me to use a self-managed super fund? No, not necessarily, because as we said earlier, they're not right in every situation. So you need to be in a structure that's appropriate for your needs at the time. All righty then. It's uh, around about four minutes to five. So, Luke, you can guess now that I'm going to ask you where can listeners get more information. <laughs> yep. So office number 62604749. We've got envisionfinancial.com.au on the internet. We've got the podcast, The Strategy Stacker. Luke Talks Money on iTunes and Spotify. We've got YouTube Envision Financial Canberra. You can subscribe to that and get all of the shows each week. We've got the Strategy Stacker handle on the Tiki Tocker. We've got YouTube Shorts. And all of these pricing and structural considerations are a key chapter in Smart Money Strategy, your ultimate guide to financial planning available in all good bookstores, Amazon and Booktopia. Fantastic stuff. Luke, thanks very much for dropping by today and we'll catch up with you again next Friday afternoon. See you next week. Luke Smith from Envision Financial and Luke will be back with us at the same time next Friday to talk money matters once again.